Pastor Xavier Reese reminds us how God's ways are indeed higher than man's ways. I can't figure out how God could forgive me for all my sins and I'll never have to give an account. Let me give you a better one. I don't know how God cannot remember my sins while I can. I don't lose sleep at night over it. I just trust God for who He is. He's God. That's why He's the Savior. Now I'm the one being saved. You know, you don't argue when you're drowning. You grab a hold of anything. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. God's holiness can't tolerate sin, but fortunately for sinful man, he's got a plan of salvation already in the works. And Pastor Xavier explains in today's study from his series in the book of Isaiah that although it's not a temporary fix, it is offered for only a limited time. Let's join him as he picks up the important conclusion of the message begun last time. Isaiah chapter 55, we're going to be looking at verse 1 through 13. And the message is entitled, A Call to be Saved. The prophet Isaiah calls out to the people of God to trust him for their complete salvation through his methods. And it's characterized through three things. First, the offer of salvation in verse 1 through 5. Then second, the conditions of salvation in verse 6 through 9. And then thirdly, the promise of salvation in verse 10 through 13. The offer of salvation, the invitation is a call to all who are thirsty spiritually. The offer is guaranteed to be spiritually satisfying. Notice that by coming to the waters in verse 1. Water is often used in the scriptures to represent God's word and his Holy Spirit. And it provides satisfaction for life. Even as the psalmist in Psalm 42, 1 and 2 says, As the hearth or the deer pants after the water brook, so pants my soul after thee, O God. Notice verse 2, the reproof is declared in a form of two questions. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? Literally, what is weighed out in silver. Now the clear implication here being those things that do not nourish man in the things of God. There are so many things that people do trying to get satisfaction and fulfillment that have nothing to do with their relationship with God. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves, but if God's not in the picture, they're only taken away from God. They're taking away the person away from God. Why do you spend your wages for what does not satisfy? Those things that seem to bring temporary satisfaction, but never lasting fulfillment. God pleads through Isaiah saying, listen carefully to me and eat what is good. I can see your mother. Or a father saying to this kid, eat it. It's good for you. I want to eat it. And let your soul delight in abundance. The spiritual man is to delight in the things of God. The soul is the inner man, the new man, who has his intellect, emotion, and will subject and aligned with the word and will of God. Notice secondly, verse 3 through 5. The revelation was to the people of God, okay? This is not to pagans, the people of God. The revealed counsel was from God. Incline your ear and come to me. In other words, listen and obey so you can walk with me. This is the offer of salvation to all of mankind. But notice, secondly, the conditions of salvation. There are conditions. First, 
In verse 6, human will must be exercised. The first part of the exhortation here is, seek the Lord while he may be found. The condition is dependent on man's free will. The seeking is the result of thirsting and hungering after God in verse 1 and 2. And the clear implication is that the opportunity to seek the Lord may not always be available. You might jot down Isaiah 49.8 and 2 Corinthians 6.1. It's not always available. You remember Jesus and John's gospel said, and they could not believe. Not that they didn't want to believe. They came to a place where they could not believe. I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open that door, I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. Jesus knocks. Jesus calls. So this is opportunity. While he is near, the response is on man's part. Now notice secondly in verse 7. Human sin must be abandoned. Not only must human will be exercised, but human sin must be abandoned. God even tells his people in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name will turn from their wicked ways, I will heal their hand. Repentance. Everybody needs to repent. There's no one who does not need to repent. The Bible teaches that where sin abounds, much more does grace abound in the book of Romans. Whatever you've committed, Jesus says he can make you whiter than snow. Cleanse you, make you a brand new creature, a son and a daughter of God. You have his word on it. Now notice thirdly, third condition, human reasoning falls short of God's heavenly plans and purposes. So this is a warning. This is a caution regarding the conditions. Verse 8, the thoughts of God are not like man's with a twofold application. The thoughts for their captivity and their deliverance were difficult for man to understand. They're trying to figure out, how are you going to do this? How are you going to deliver us? The Babylonians, Habakkuk, he tried to figure God out. He says, Lord, you, you show me. I'm your prophet. Show me what you're going to do. God says, oh, Hab, if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. Oh, come on, Lord. I'm your prophet. All right. I'm going to take the Babylonians. I'm going to use them. To discipline my children. I can't believe it, Lord. I told you. <laughs> so Habakkuk goes from concern to complain to confusion to confidence in God as he sits and waits for God to rebuke him and correct him. That's good. The thoughts of God on how he could forgive them for all their evil was difficult for some to believe, I'm sure also. Their repentance and forgiveness was not to be figured out in their mind. I can't figure out how God could forgive me for all my sins and I'll never have to give an account. Let me give you a better one. I don't know how God cannot remember my sins while I can. <laughs> but I don't lose sleep at night over it. I just trust God for who he is. He's God. He's bigger than me or my problem. That's why he's the savior. And I'm the one being saved. You know, you're out there drowning and some guy says, listen, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this out. Just hold it. Oh, I don't know. I don't want to. You know, I don't know how that can help me. It's just, you know, you don't argue when you're drowning. You grab a hold of anything. You know, oh, excuse me. Just a minute. Explain it to me first. No. <laughs> you don't do that. God's thoughts were on the suffering servant. His sacrifice. He's just given it. He's been dealing with it. 
This is the basis for which he can offer this salvation. His son. God's thoughts were completely legitimate, not violating his holiness. God's thoughts are higher than man's thoughts regarding how he plans to accomplish and resolve issues in life. And if you're a Christian, you walk with God for a long time, you're going to say, amen, amen, amen. Because <laughs> he just keeps blowing our mind every time how he does things, right? Notice the ways of man were not the ways of God. The ways and methods by which man would handle and resolve issues are limited and imperfect. The ways and methods of God are not limited to the present information or resources of the arm of flesh. And we've touched upon this in previous weeks back. You know, if I can't figure it out, then, then my problem's unsolvable, you know? And, and so I measure my God by my own potential. Or worse yet, I measure my God by the size of my problem, which is wrong. Notice the illustration. He gives us an illustration so we understand it. We can't miss it. Verse 9. The illustration comparison given to comprehend the vast gulf between man and God is the height of heaven and earth. Now watch. Every generation understands this. Somebody says, do you know how high it is between heaven and earth? You say, no. But what do you understand about it? It's a heck of a long ways. It's more than I can comprehend. But you believe there is a distance between it. Yes, well, the same thing with this. You can't understand it, but, but you know that God can do it, and, and it's so far removed, you'll never get to, you know, the, the exactness of it. Well, the height is uh, three, 3 billion, 400 million, 300, no, you're, you're not going to get to it. His way is higher than man's ways. His thoughts higher than man's. In ancient Israel, there were cities of refuge that were picked out, three on each side of the Jordan River, for the man who had unintendedly killed somebody accidentally. He could flee to that city. And once he got to the city, he was safe. Every year, the tradition of the Jews is that they would clear the roads of every obstacle so that that man could run to the city of refuge in safety. So, the cross. The cross of God is his great city of refuge from the penalty of sin. I am forgiven for. That's my city of refuge. No one can try me. No one can accuse me. Paul told the believer that now is the acceptable time, the day of salvation, not tomorrow. In fact, he told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, for he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you, and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today, not tomorrow. The thieves on the cross. Today, not tomorrow. The rich young ruler, he walked away. Sad, because he had so many possessions. We don't hear about him again. Window times. Once they close, they close. To the Romans he said, and do this knowing the time. Then now it is high time to wake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry or drunkenness, not in lewdness or lust, not in strife or envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Romans 13, 11 through 14. The warning 
first of all, was to the non-believer. The warning here in Romans, to the believer. Always that warning. You see, repentance without contrition is hypocrisy and self-deception. Don't ever do that to yourself. God is clear about absolute need of contrition. Turn your page over to Isaiah 57, 15. He says, For thus is the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high of the holy place with him, listen, who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Contrition means that you see yourself as guilty. You feel bad about what you did. It was sin. In other words, there must be a brokenness for confession to be legit. You know, like people, you well, once you, sorry, why not contrition? But when someone's contrite, they go, oh, man, I'm sorry. I don't know. I'm sorry. Can you forgive me? There's a brokenness. That's contrition. A contrite heart. God does not turn that away. God dwells with such individual. Contrite. In fact, Paul the Apostle tells the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 7.10, there's two types of repentance. Godly repentance and worldly repentance. Worldly repentance brings forth death because there's no contrition and you only cry about the consequence to you and you go out and do it again. But godly repentance, we're glad we did repent. We don't regret that we repented and we turn away from sin because it's a brokenness of our heart. This is what he's talking about. Our ability to understand God is not based on our own intellect, but by the fact that we are his children. In fact, he tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 through 10, that, you know, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Then he goes on to say, the natural man does not understand the things of God, but they are freely given to us by the Spirit of God. And then when you get to the end of the chapter, verse 16, he says, and you have the mind of Christ. You know what the problem is with Christians? We don't put it on, Philippians 2, 5. Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. We have it. We don't put it on. This is the conditions of salvation for all of mankind. No exception. Now notice thirdly. He finishes off with the promise of salvation. This is the assurance. Notice first in verse 10 and 11. The supernatural promise of salvation is to be understood by the observation of of natural transformation or nature's transformation. Verse 10, the illustration is understood by all the generations. No one is without excuse. He picks something so basic, so understood, that no matter how smart we are, no matter how dumb we are, no matter how uneducated, no matter what country we live in, no matter what part of the world we live in, everybody understands this if they would read it. As God provides the natural process of rain and snow in verse 11 there. To come down from heaven and not return, but water the earth. And in watering the earth, make it bring forth the bud of the seed that had been watered, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Everybody understands that. Rain comes down, the seed gets watered, sprouts up, the farmer goes out, reaps it, sells it, people eat it. Real simple. 
The application is then given. The application is to all who hear God's word for salvation. So shall my word be that goes forth, listen, from my mouth. God's word comes from heaven, not from man on earth. Like the rain. The words are divine authority, not human. God's word shall not return to him void. It shall accomplish what I please. The word void means empty or without fruit. The content of God's word always reveals his will, what he pleases to reveal. And notice God's word will prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So there's the application. In the context of our passage, God has revealed the need of their salvation, trusting completely in Jehovah and their future deliverance from Babylon. Both things are being dealt with. The salvation of the individual would be decided by each person having two possibilities according to the illustration and application. Don't miss it. First, God's word will condemn those who ignore it and the invitation to be saved. Second, God's word will convict a man and bring him to repentance and transformation if embraced. The deliverance from Babylon would be fulfilled by God regardless whether people believe it or not. But the individual choice, God does not force upon anybody. I love it. He's hitting both. He's tracking both of them, a parallel, making application to both, spiritual and literal. And so as people hear God's word, two things happen. Either you're sitting there saying, well, I don't really need this, and you're rejecting it. And as you walk away from God, the word condemns you. I don't condemn you. The word condemns you. It judges you. You're a sinner. And you have no basis for your sin to cover. If you embrace it and agree with God that you're a sinner, he says, I've got you covered. The only two things that can happen. So what the word was designed to do was to bring conviction and bring forth repentance. Notice secondly in verse 12 and 13. The supernatural promise of salvation would be evident through time for confirmation. This is good. In verse 12, they would in fact be delivered from their Babylonian captivity whether they believed it or not. That's an absolute thing, okay? That's going to happen. God declared, for you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The confirmation, whether they believed it or not, they were led by Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple by the command of Cyrus. Ezra chapter 1, chapter 2, the last chapter, 2 Chronicles, you can check that. They were encouraged by the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, Ezra chapter 5, verse 1. They were later led out by Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter 1 and 2. So what God is saying now that the people of God did not believe would be confirmed in the future. That's important. But also, God declared the nature, that nature around them would be rejoicing. The mountains singing and the hills clapping. In what? In celebration of God's word to accomplish what he has sent it to do. Romans 8 tells us that nature groans for the return of Jesus Christ to be redeemed. But also in celebration of the deliverance of God's people. Because he would deliver them. Now notice, 
that he also touches that they would experience fruitfulness. Look at verse 13. They were provided and protected by God through the pagan empire, the Medo-Persian empire. That would be confirmed. The entire ultimate fulfillment of the landscape, being fruitful, would be fulfilled ultimately in the kingdom age. We see Israel back in the land. We see it fruitful, but it's still not ultimate, right? So Isaiah sometimes has short-term, long-term, and then ultimate, right? Or sometimes just two. Sometimes it's three. The entire work would be, notice, to what? Glorify the name of Jehovah. Why? Because he's the one that said it. He has declared it before it took place. He has brought it to pass according to his word. And that's why he's the one that's glorified. When you're saved, I'm saved, God gets the glory because I didn't pay anything. I didn't do anything. I just believed him. Romans chapter 3. Abraham believed by faith. He had none to boast before God. And so the ultimate kingdom will be the everlasting sign to never end. That he alone is God. There is no other. We've seen that repeated over and over. That he knows the end from the beginning. The breaking out of nature will be celebrated by singing at the setting up of the kingdom. By creation and by man. Waiting to board a plane on which he had a reserve seat, Brigadier General Theodore Roosevelt Jr. overheard the piteous plead of a private for a ticket at the window. I, I, I'm going overseas in three days. I want to see my mom before I go. I can go home and be back only if I travel in a plane. It was explained to him that every seat in the plane was taken. Just then, Brigadier General Roosevelt stepped forward and said, I'll surrender my seat to him. B but, protested the fellow officer to the general, this is a matter of rank. That's right, quickly replied General Roosevelt. He's a son. I'm only a general. That's good. In the same way, God confers the highest honor upon you and I, his sons and his daughters. Jesus gave many parables about the wedding feast and invitation in Matthew 22, Luke 14. People made their lame excuses, one after another. Jesus lamented over the unbelief of Israel. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times I wanted to gather you as a hand gathers her chicks in their wings, but you would not. Now I leave unto you desolate. Jesus would say today, oh, John, oh, Mary, how many times I wanted to gather you as a hand and her chicks in her wings, but you would not. So now I leave unto you desolate. Hmm. The call continues for all to the present day, even as Peter in Acts 2, 38 and 39 says, for the promise is unto you, your children, and to as many as are far off. This is the promise of salvation to all of mankind. And so Isaiah the prophet has called out the people of God to trust God completely for their salvation by his methods, which has been characterized by the offer of salvation, the conditions of salvation and the promise of salvation. You can't get any clearer or any simpler. <laughs> it's there. Now you have to make a decision. We hope you trust God 
completely for your salvation by the message that he has provided, the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. Pastor Xavier Reese, recapping the three elements of salvation of God's gracious invitation from Isaiah chapter 55. And you can get the complete and unedited version of today's study, A Call to be Saved. It's available on CD for only $4. And this will also include what Pastor Xavier taught the last time we were together as well. Now, once again, the title to ask for is A Call to be Saved, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's helpful when you mention the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us with our stewardship of this outreach. Scripture commands us not to sin and offers a leg up when we stumble. That's next time when we join Pastor Xavier Reese for more Simple Truths right here. Hope to see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com